This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 301 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. A couple of tough cookies. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Kentucky Performance Products and you, our listeners. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Howdy Helena Howdy, Glenn. How are you? Okay. I got to say it right off the top that if you are not an auditor of the Horse Radio Network, if you have not joined our little membership club, if you've not gone to StableScoop.com and clicked on the big banner in the middle of the page and at least committed to a dollar a month, you will not hear 18 minutes of the finest of Helena's bloopers. Ugh. From the last six years. He um he made me sit down in my chair, like like <laughs> strapped me to it with duct tape and made my oh, uh, wouldn't let me put cotton in my ears. He made me listen to it. And you know what? I laughed. It was it kind was of funny. Really <laughs> funny. It was really funny. I was like, holy cow, I'm funny. <laughs> you're funny when you're not recording. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, it's good. It's it's one of those good um good pieces of tape. Well, uh, you put it together, it made a whole show. It's totally worth the couple of bucks to be an auditor. And I'm like as cheap as they come, and I'd pay for that. That was pretty funny. So if you want to get our bloopers, we're going to try and do them as often as we can. Now, Helena had the most bloopers. It's either because we, she's had the show for the longest or she makes the most mistakes. I'm not sure which. But... <laughs> my boyfriend commented that my entire life is a blooper reel. <laughs> It's like, thanks, Buck. Well, and I want to find out, too, you you teased me at the beginning of the show about something that happened to you that might go on the blooper reel, so I'm going to find out about that a little bit later, too. But So if you want to become an auditor and find out more about uh, everything that you get for being an auditor, including the bloopers from the different shows, then just hop on over to our website and click the banner in the middle of the page. It really is as little as a dollar a month. Well, now, uh, we have a good show planned for you today. We have Kat from Eat Your Tart Out with her recipe, and this is a fun one. That's the one that everybody likes to talk about. And then Alan Day is coming on, He, he and you'll know him. Uh, you'll know him through his sister, I think. His sister was Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman Supreme Court justice. And he wrote a book called The Horse Lover, A Cowboy's Quest to Save the Wild Mustangs. And we're going to hear his story of his ranch and, and 1,500 of his Mustang friends. We're going to find out about that a little later. Plus, I have a Tack and Habit review on a pair of boots that I've been wearing for a couple of weeks. And we'll let you know how they made out. And then you are going to tell us what happened to you because uh, I, I need to know. But we have to get to Cat right away because we have her scheduled. So let's go to Cat. Well, hi, Cat. Welcome back to the show. Well, hi. Thanks so much for having me. And I see on your uh, uh, Facebook page that you're back in New York visiting family and have been to Wegmans about 85 times in the last three days. 
Yes, I think I've set the all-time record of how many Wegmans one person can visit in a day. Yesterday, I topped off at four different stores, two in Rochester and two in Buffalo. And in total on this visit and in six days, I've been to eight different Wegmans stores. Are they paying you yet for PR? No, and they really should be because this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they should. I they mean, should. especially how much money I drop when I'm home, it's ridiculous too. So they really should be paying me or help offsetting some of the cost of me just shopping there when I am back in Buffalo or Massachusetts or wherever I am. I agree. Wegmans, listen up. You need to pay cat. Come on. What's wrong with you people? Well, you're going to do a recipe uh, like you do every month here very shortly, but I can't wait any longer, and she's making me hold out, but I figure if I embarrass her in front of you, she'll have to tell me. So Helena, we start the conversation today that she's had a near-death experience and and something injured. So Helena, you can't hold out any longer. What's going on? Okay. So this is, I wish this was a funny story, but it's not a funny story. And um, although everything's, you know, with me does have some element of humor to it. But um, so I went to a hunter pace this last past weekend and um, I had been fussing around and trying to figure out what bit I wanted to take my horse out in because we're going to go hunting soon. So I usually ride him in a double jointed loose ring snaffle. So (laughs) I decide to bit up. And put him in a single-jointed, full-cheek snaffle. Ha, ha, ha. That's very funny. It's really whatever. So um, the only... the only uh, What could go wrong? Tell us, Alina. Right? Okay. <laughs> so I get on my horse, and I hack him over to the start of the hunter pace, and I meet the other women from my team. And all is well and good. He's got his snaffle bridle on. He's got his full cheek in. And he's just great. There's flapping tents and ribbons and people and cars and all kinds of excitement. And he is just the bomb. He's awesome. So my team is tacking up at their trailer. And um, they're going to be a few minutes. So I decide to save my horse's back and hop off. Um, So I just stand there and, you know, we're, we're talking and I'm waiting for them to tack up. And my horse decides to nuzzle me. And my head is at about nose height for him. Now, I'm standing there with my helmet on. I have my helmet secured on the ground. My horse is behind me, and he's sticking his nose. He's, like, nosing my helmet. And the untethered cheek piece on his bit gets caught in the strings in the back of my helmet. Oh, no. This can't go well. So, of course, he pulls back and realizes he's stuck to me by his face, and he pulls back harder. And then he realizes something's wrong with my, my person because she doesn't usually flap around and flail around like that. Let me back away from her so I don't injure her, or let me just back away from this crazy mess. And he proceeds to lift me up off of the ground by my helmet, which is still attached to his bit, and back up. And so now I'm being dragged by my helmet, by the neck strap on my helmet, which is still attached to my horse's bit. And it wasn't until the helmet straps completely shredded that I was freed from the chaos. And how far away was that? Uh, it didn't go very far because I went up and down, up and down, up and down, and then 
probably he probably dragged me about ten feet. Um, that is the most bizarre accident I've ever heard. Of. Right, and oh I survived God. with only I have a bruised trachea, so I immediately took some ibuprofen, and um, because my greatest concern was that my throat would swell up because it's like being choked or like being right. kicked right? or punched in the throat, yeah. and um. I thought, when my feet came up off the ground, I, literally the thought that went through my head was, this is how it's going to be. This is how I'm going out. I well, like, I completely gave up. Like I can, like there was, I was stuck. This helmet was secure to my head. Good job, Charles Owen, by the way. <laughs> you don't make cheap helmets. Um, yeah, I turned out to be fine. I do have a, like, I, I guess they, a clinically bruised windpipe, but should take a couple of weeks to um to heal. So right now it's almost as if like when you have a sore throat and you swallow, it feels like there's a rock in there. Um, nothing you can do for it. But um actually they they uh prescribed lots of ibuprofen and heat of all things. Hmm. And that's it. So well, the how, public's well, how was his mouth? Because he was lifting you up with his mouth, basically. His mouth was fine. Nothing, no absolute injury because I think he figured out pretty quickly, like after the first time I went up, that going up hurt. So he went backwards, which then pulled the bit forward in his mouth and obviously didn't cause him any pain. Mm. It just put pressure on his, obviously on his pole. So, um, yeah, a little whiplash, a little braised, uh, bruised trachea and a resolve to always use the bit loops on my full cheek bridle. Well, we're glad you're okay. I know. Right? <laughs> it didn't stop me from riding the hunter pace. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw these wonderful pictures and I heard there was like some little snafu. Now I realize it was the snaffle causing the snafu. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Like Isn't that, that amazing? Now, that- please and- tell me in this day of new media that somebody had a video of it so that uh, it would get about 85 million hits. Oh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anybody missed the good stuff. Got a video. I know. It's just really interesting because um I'm 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 the type of person who doesn't break the rules. Like I know the rules are there for a reason and they're primarily for safety reasons. And I keep kept saying to myself, I need to put the the bit loops on this thing. I need to put my keepers on. I need to do it. I need to do it. I need to do it. And my rationale for not doing it was I don't have the time right now. I can't find them. They're in the bottom of my tack trunk somewhere. My horse isn't the kind of horse. He doesn't bend around. He doesn't stick his nose where it doesn't belong. You know, the likelihood of him catching the full cheeks on something is pretty low. And boom. There is no rationale. There's just no rationale for not doing what you're supposed to do. Right. It's always when you least expect it, and it's always in the most crazy of circumstances to say, hey, I will remember this lesson for the rest of my life now. Yep. Yep. And thank God, like, you know, nobody got hurt for it. That's why I say, you know, Glenn, I think we did a whole show once on life lessons without the blood, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, this was one of those life lessons. Thankfully, there was no external blood. So seriously, if there's anything, and I know this isn't just about full cheeks and bit loops. This is about anything. This is about putting your helmet on. This is about crossing your T's and dotting your I's, especially when it comes to horses. You know, we all say Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. It takes one, one bad decision. Huh. Wow, that, I kind of have to say that's one of the most bizarre ones I've heard of. <laughs> that is bizarre. Right. Wow. 
but not it's not crazy in that like it does of course well some horses some horses are affectionate they're gonna nuzzle you you're standing on the ground they wuffle your hair you know sometimes they nibble on your collar mine's mostly looking for treats (laughs) (laughs) who knows he could have been looking for treats behind my ear well, we're glad you're okay. You kind of left us both speechless because it's like, what do you say to that particular right? accident? Yeah. I know. And I didn't want to have to wait. I wanted to hear about you because I care about you. Like, I don't want to know that like, you're, I don't know, internally bleeding or something. And, oh, at the end of this call, you're going to have to go to the hospital or something crazy. Like, I mean, it still sucks because you had a bruised trachea. That just sounds painful. Yeah. You know, I, I, I probably should have gone to... I probably I probably shouldn't have gone out riding in the woods <laughs> immediately <laughs> afterwards. But um so that was probably the second bad decision of the day. That one just happened to work out. No, for that me. was a horse girl decision. That's what that any was, horse girl would have done. <laughs> I just I took a little extra Advil than, you know, than I should have taken. And I, I had my phone with me and I said, you know, I got my, my little iRide live app going. So so if medical services needed to find me in the woods, they could. <laughs> My little <laughs> GPS. Next time I'm going to ride with flares. <laughs> uh, well, Kat, let's talk about something uh, uh, not as dangerous. Cookies. Cookies. But, hey. <laughs> well, maybe, they could be dangerous. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you <laughs> At my house, they are. I don't know. There's a whole, like, let's not go that direction. Let's just say we're going to talk about something happy and delicious, and that is cookies. Oh, good. Yeah, let's do it that way. <laughs> okay. So... I don't know about you guys, but I mean, for me, I blog a lot. Okay. So I'm doing a lot of recipes and testing and things like that. And if I make a batch of cookies, who's going to eat them? My husband and I, we get stuck with these cookies all the time. We don't have a great network to get rid of my efforts with. So I was just in my kitchen and I'm like, I want to make two cookies. I just want a little snack. Maybe I'll share one with Greg if I'm feeling, you know, like I want to share and be nice to him, you know, great. Depending how good he was that day. Exactly. (laughs) And how hungry you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, two cookies just seemed like a safe amount. So I found a few recipes online. It's typically how I start my recipe building process. I find some recipes. I try it out. It works. It doesn't work. Or I cater it to my taste. And that's exactly what I did with this recipe for these single serve, I need them right now, chocolate chip cookies. And... It's brilliant. I love it. Like I have a toaster oven too, so I don't even have to heat up my whole oven or my kitchen for that matter. I literally get two cookies and it's perfect. And that's what it's all about. And you just basically, it's been rationed down as far as size. You still need all the ingredients for the cookies, but it's very simple. And I gave you kind of the knowledge that if you like, you know, depending on what kind of cookie you like. Now, I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys and find out, but what is your favorite type of chocolate chip cookie? When you say, this is my ideal chocolate chip cookie, are we talking crispy, chewy, fluffy, a little bit of bulk? Like, what are their favorite, What are your guys' favorite type of chocolate chip cookies? Mm, I like the chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chips in them. What? <laughs> so sugar cookies or you like the dough of chocolate chip cookies? Not sugar cookies. Well, I like the dough of chocolate chip cookies. I like sugar cookies too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if we're talking about cookies. But no, like if you could take the, the chocolate chip cookie batter and just not add the chips to it, then that that's my favorite. That's not a sugar cookie, What's right? What's wrong with you? Boy, what? you spunked your head. I, I know. I, we need to have you checked. <laughs> no, I, I've never liked chocolate chip cookies because I don't like the chips. 
Who doesn't well, like chocolate chip cookies? So you should be exported. What country do you come from? I know. Mars. Ship you back. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you let her answer the question? Okay, is that cat is that really so unheard of? I mean, you you know, this is thinking outside the box a little bit, right? I'm not crazy. You're not, because I'm similar in a lot of ways. Like I just love chocolate chip cookies, so I can't get around that, especially when they're melty. I don't find you're like chomping on them like crunchy wise. But like blizzards for example i cannot stand crunchy stuff in my blizzards like it's got to be like ice cream like you're eating it you're not chewing and chomping at the same time so like i cannot stand chocolate chip cookies or chocolate chips in my ice cream i can't deal with that i cannot so, be on the call with you too well, i know i like crunchy stuff in my ice cream but that's okay see so to, to each his own so keep going i want to hear i want to i want to by the way i like everything you just talked about <laughs> you don't discriminate. Okay, no. we understand. You, you love everything, Glenn. We got it. Um, but no, seriously, like some people have this like, and I've noticed like when you say, what is your favorite chocolate chip recipe or chocolate chip cookie recipe? There's such a variation because there's so many recipes. One that will cater to like the Nestle Toll House one is very like crispy on the edges and usually pretty chewy and underdone on the inside. And like my sister vehemently like hates that kind of cookie. She likes the more like fluffy, bulky ones. They have a little chew to them. And everybody's got like this, you know, area which they fall in. Like my husband loves fluffy cookies and I'm like, you're weird, but he's not. It's just everybody's got their own preferences. And I found that to be very you know, there's never ever going to be one perfect chocolate chip cookie recipe because everybody loves different kinds. Like Helena would like just, you know, get rid of the chocolate chips. So then I don't know what you would call it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could put other chips in there. Absolutely. Like peanut butter or like the toffee pieces or things like that. But, and when I was designing this recipe, I was like realizing like the more I made it, like I would alter one thing because, you know, I want to test these recipes out really extensively and find out what's going to work for a variety of settings. And in doing that, I realized with the recipe, I can give you pretty much all the shortcuts to say, if you are a crispy chocolate chip cookie kind of person, here's what type of recipe you're going to use for just two cookies. Or my favorite is more of a bulky cookie. It's got just a lot more heft to it. It's not thin. It's a little bit thicker, but it's chewy. It's not this, and it's not underdone either. It's a weird combination, but I love them, and that's my favorite way of eating the cookies. So that's basically what this recipe is about, is finding your cookie, your perfect cookie, and then you can only make two. That's I, I kind of like them the same way I like my beef, medium well. You know, okay. I like them to the point yeah, where yeah. they're almost yeah. a little crispy, but not you know, not hard as rock. Right. That's um, a good. That's yeah, a good comparison. That's kind of how I like them. Now, let me ask you this: I noticed your recipe on here, and if, you, if anybody wants to see it, they can go to eatyourtartout.com or stablescoop.com. In the show notes, we'll have a link to it. But um, can you take and make a whole chocolate chip c- cookie r- batter, and then freeze it into cookie sizes, and then just take it out and cook? And at that time, does that work or doesn't it work to freeze the dough? It absolutely does. And so that's one of those things that like normally when I would make a giant batch of cookies and then I'm like, I just can't keep eating these. Let's just either bake them all or freeze the dough. And you'll find that a lot of like fundraisers and things like that, people sell frozen cookie dough and it works great. And it just depends on the recipe. Some you can um, basically just take them right out of the freezer and put them on a cookie sheet and you're ready to go. Other ones, you have to basically put them in the refrigerator, let them defrost, and then you can cook them cold like that. I prefer actually chilling my dough because the flavors meld a lot more and you get a deeper, richer cookie that way. 
Um, so typically when I do a batch of cookies, a large batch of cookies, that's what I'm doing is I, you know, will make the dough, let it sit for a day or two and then bake them. And you just get a lot more depth of flavor. So yes, you can do that. But these are just these, this recipe in particular was like, I have no cookies on hand. I have none frozen. I want them right now. And how do I do that without heating up the oven? And how do I do that without making a giant batch of cookies? Cause I simply don't have the time. Well, you know, I might do this for Jennifer sometime as a treat because she doesn't get many cookies anymore now that I can't have sugar. Right. But, but so now I can make two. And she always complains like if I buy a big bag of cookies that yes. she has to eat them all. So, You're obligated, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. this way I should do this some night. That would be a special treat. Yeah. No, I could get brownie good. points. Exactly. So, yeah. And it's great for the equestrian because if you're coming home from a night after the barn and you've had a bad day, you don't have time to go pick up a pint of ice cream or something and you just want something quick, this is a great way to do it. Or if you're already heating up the oven for dinner and you're like, great, it's already set at 350, you can just pop these two cookies in and be done with it. And then you don't feel obligated because you have three batches of cookies and you're going to sit there and, you know, eat them all. Very interesting. And, of course, you can find that at eatyourtartout.com. That is the blog you want to go to or, or follow Kat at Eat Your Tart Out on Facebook. And tart is spelled with an E at the end, T-A-R-T-E. Well, thank you, Kat, for joining us. We appreciate it. All right. And thank you for not thinking oddly of me for not I wanting do. chips in my mouth. I'm thinking sure. oddly of her. I you guys and all your little quirks, so don't <laughs> you worry. I got my own. So we're, I mean, come on, who goes to eight Wagmans in six days? So That is I, true. I know, I know. <laughs> this is why we love you. See, we love one another for our idiosyncrasies. I'll call Wegmans and tell them they need to put you on the payroll. Okay? Yeah, me too. All right, we'll all right. call later. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. All right, take care, guys. Well, on a serious note, uh, I am really glad you're okay because that could have gone wrong in so many ways. Yeah, it, it could have. You could have ended up in the ground have. underneath hooves, and that wouldn't have been good either. So, uh, Or I could have ended up without a head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know, I, I know. I, I, yeah, it's, or, 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 and so many other smaller little things could have totally changed my life. But um, thank you, universe, for a lesson learned without the blood. You know, I, uh, you were talking about the blood, how you went up, how your friend came up and said, don't worry, there's no blood, uh, reminded me of a story, and I think I've told it before, but it was probably years ago. My wife and I were sledding on our, we had a 100-acre farm, and, and it had a big hill in Pennsylvania, and the hill used to get really snowy in the winter, and we used to take, we used to take the truck, somebody would drive the truck to the top of the hill, and when we'd sled down it, or we'd toboggan down the hill, and then we'd take the truck back up, because it was a pretty big hill. And at the bottom of the hill was the fence lines for the pastures. And and in that day, we had four-wire fence. So the one day, it was getting toward evening, and it had snowed, and then it had rained and everything, and the hill looked like it would be a whole lot of fun. So my wife and I trudged up the hill, and we were going to make one run down the hill with our toboggan, both of us on the same toboggan. And we thought, well, this would be a lot of fun. And on the way up, I noticed that the, the ice on top of the snow was a little crunchy, that, it, you know, there was some ice on top of the snow. And we both thought, well, that's going to be great. It'll go faster. Well, when we got up to the top of the hill and we get on the toboggan and we start down, I got about 10 feet down the hill and we both realized that this was a bad mistake because oh. we were not crunching through the ice. We were on top of the ice, going down a <gasps> steep hill, heading toward the four-wire fence at the bottom of the hill. By the time we hit the bottom of the hill, we were probably doing 30 miles an hour. 
and I we knew that if we hit the fence, we were going to be decapitated. That was going to be very bad. So oh I just yelled bail out, and we both rolled off the toboggan, and the toboggan went underneath the four-wire fence and into the pasture. And Oh, my God. Well, the problem was we when we bailed out, we both ended up face first into the ice. Well, the one thing about ice is your face doesn't slide across the top. It cuts <coughs> through it. Oh, God. What we both laid there for a minute because this we were you know doing it was we were both going pretty fast and we realized yeah. this, this was bad. <laughs> it's like falling out of a moving car. Yeah, it was. Bad. Uh, yeah, and we were all hurt. We thought we broke stuff, and I find you know I finally just whispered, "Are you okay?" And she said, "I don't know." And my face was in the snow, so when I picked up my face, I had my hands over my face, mm-hmm. and there was all I saw was blood everywhere. Oh and, God! And then I looked at Jennifer, and I couldn't see her face. There was just blood everywhere. <gasps> oh. So we're looking at each other. I said, you're covered in blood. And she said, you are too. And I said, well, let's just go in the house and figure out. We didn't know whether we'd lost noses, eyeballs. At that point, we weren't sure what was wrong. Oh, my God. We got in the house, and we just took a rag and started wiping each other off. What had happened was, thank God we didn't cut off our noses or anything like that. But we each had about... 30 little cuts all over our faces from the ice cutting our faces. Right, yeah, it's like tiny little knives. Yes, and that's what happened. We had like tiny little knife cuts all over our faces. And it was the middle of winter. We couldn't have get out now in our driveway if we wanted to. So we didn't go to the hospital. We patched ourselves up as best we could. I still have a couple little scars on my face from it. And probably wow. a couple of them could have used stitches. But we just patched ourselves up as best we could. We lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere. You know, you just did what you could. Yeah. And, uh, but I talk about hurting the next day. Oh, my God, we're we hurting the yeah. next day. We never did that again, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you learned a lesson with a little blood. No broken yeah, bones. Yeah, the snow had to be soft and pliable. No ice. Yeah, everybody, yeah, in the wintertime. <laughs> But your story (laughs) reminded me of that. It was just like, you know, I know what that's like to have somebody look at you and say, you know, you know, what's there? I didn't even know if my nose was still attached. Yeah, it's because you're just like numb. You don't know what. You're in shock is what you're in shock. Yeah, Yeah, you're in shock. Which is what you were. It was probably why you didn't panic. Which is really interesting because I, I that's always my reaction to any kind of physical issues or, you know, incidents is, is I do my adrenaline spikes and I shake. I had none of that. I was so calm. And I That's honestly because think it happened to you. If it had happened to your child, you would have been a wreck. <laughs> you would have, been, you would have been a wreck for three days. Well, at least I didn't <clears throat> smash my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Which was in the blooper reel for anybody that, oh, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> I shook for a week after that happened. So I guess the moral of these stories is... Don't go face first through the ice. <laughs> Don't go face <laughs> Stay tough. Eat your cookies. And use your keepers. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to our next guest right after this commercial for Kentucky Performance Products. We're going to talk to Alan Day. Let me tell you a little bit about Alan Day. You're going to know him. His sister is Sandra Day O'Connor. They grew up together on a ranch called the Lazy Bee, and it was uh, in the American Southwest. And they're both horse people. Sandra Day ret- was the first female uh, Supreme Court justice, was yes. appointed during Reagan, I believe. And then. By Reagan, yep. yeah. And then retired in 2006, believe it or not. It seemed like yesterday she j- retired, but it was in 2006. 
But they grew up on a ranch and they rode horses and everything. And he had uh, he had a couple of branches and then decided to buy a third one, uh, a big one, thirty five thousand acres. And uh, hopefully he'll tell us the story of how he came to put. Uh, over a thousand mustangs on that thirty-five thousand acres, and and what he did to to make sure that they were happy mustangs out there. So let's talk to our special guest today, Alan Day. This nutrition minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Feeding your horse starch-laden grains can lead to colic, laminitis, and metabolic disease. Today, nutritionists are recommending the use of high-quality fat to provide healthy calories. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It's readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of starchy grains. Replacing grain with a high-quality fat supplement reduces a horse's risk of developing health problems. Equijule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium to phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. And best of all, horses fueled by Equijule stay calmer and more focused on the job at hand. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equijule. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, hi, Alan, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Hello. How are you today? Terrific. We appreciate you joining us and and, uh, talking about your story. I went over a little bit in your introduction uh, about the book, uh, The Horse Lover, and Tell us, though, how this adventure began with the Mustangs. Well, probably going way back, I uh, when the first horse I ever had when I was old enough to walk was a little Mustang that had been captured out of a herd that uh, ran not too far from the old family ranch. So uh, my connection with Mustangs goes, uh, Chico probably babysat me more hours than my mother did. <laughs> so, wow. I, you know, I go way back with Mustang and uh, and was always fascinated. You know, by the time when I was a little kid, well, Chico was his children's horse. You know, he was thoroughly gentle, and, and he was so kind to little children. I'll never forget. I'd be riding along and lose my balance and fall off. And when I fall off, he would stop in mid-stride and just freeze and not even put his foot down because he didn't want to step on me. And I'd, you know, be upset or crying or whatever because I hit the ground pretty hard. And he'd just patiently wait for me to get up and get on, and he wouldn't even move a muscle. And uh, he was he was a wonderful horse. So my first Mustang. And, and you grew up on a ranch, too, right? Your family had yep. a ranch? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, been in my family for generations. And what? Go ahead. What do you find is so you have this affection for the Mustang, um, which is absolutely understandable. What do you find is different about them, or makes them disposition wise? Are they are they naturally prone to 
um, just being good natured um, because of the diversity in their genetic material, do you think? Do you think it's because most of them get to live naturally as horses should? What do you think makes them as amazing as they are? Well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that all of them are how you describe them. I think there are Mustangs that are stubborn and obstinate, and I think there are Mustangs that are kind and sweet. And, and when, when I had that big herd of 1,500 Mustangs that I was looking after, my, one of my favorite sayings was there was the twin that every horse I'd ever seen in my life had his twin in that, in that herd of horses. So there were big ones and little ones and mean ones and kind ones and, and smart ones and dumb ones. And, you know, I, I think the genetic variation is, is very obvious in, in the horses because they come from so many different backgrounds. Uh, the, the one, one thing that apparently they've developed, uh, you know, even if they're feral horses, they've developed. It's my understanding that uh, some that the Border Patrol have adopted to, for patrolling our, you know, the international boundary, our, our boundary with Mexico, are so intelligent in their, their night vision and their sense of smell is so acute that they learn why they're out there and when they, when some illegal scatter and run, these horses make a game of it. And they, they not only can tell where they're hidden, but they'll direct their rider and say, hey, there's one over here. He, one's hiding behind that bush. And, you know, quarter horses, Morgan horses, other horses won't do that. And I think maybe the wild horses, because of being wild, they need to be more alert and more aware of their surroundings, but in any case, uh, the Border Patrol officers that have those horses are very happy with them. Now, you you had a ranch or two before you decided to take on the Mustang Project. What what you know and end up with fifteen hundred of them? What what possessed you to want to do that? Was this was this your idea, or did somebody come to you and say you really should do this? How that happen? Well, uh, I had a partner, Dayton Hyde who still does have a sanctuary up in the Black Hills of South Dakota. But the original idea, uh, Dayton found me one time, and he said, Alan, are you aware of the plight of the Mustangs? And I said, well, to some degree, but obviously you're much more aware than I, so bring me up to speed. And he said, well, these excess unadoptable horses are in feedlots. And and we called it horse prison. You know, they're they're not allowed to roam free, and because of being confined in that small an area, the family dynamics of the horses doesn't it falls apart, and they get so bored they eat each other's manes and tails. And so Dayton said, "Gee, um, we need to get together and and take these horses that are in horse prison and turn them back out on." on good range, you know, on, on range where they'll be happy. And it just so happened that the time he was telling me this, I was in the process of buying this ranch in South Dakota that uh, didn't have any cattle or sheep or anything on it. And it just all clicked. And I said, well, 
gee whiz, I could take a big bunch of those horses up on that ranch. And Dayton got real excited because his place that he had wouldn't handle a whole lot. I would, I think at the time would handle 300 and, and, and I was buying a bigger piece of land that would, I determined would handle 1500. So, uh, we threw in together and together took, uh, you know, a, a, a combined group of 1,800 horses. And at the time, the BLM, all they had of the excess horses was 2,000. So we, we pretty well cleaned the trails out. Hmm. Wow. Things have changed a lot since you did that. What year was that, anyway? Do you... 87. Things have obviously changed a lot since then, and and you you had to go through a, a lot of hassle to even get that done, as far as uh, lobbying efforts with the Bureau of Land Management and everything. And and you know, I know we've talked to others in the meantime who are who are looking at doing the same thing. Now the BLM is changing its tune a little bit and talking about paying people to take large numbers of horses. Um, well, they they paid us. It was you know when I was buying this ranch, there was a mortgage on it, and. I had employees, and I had taxes and operating expenses, and so we. But we told the Bureau of Land Management they were paying two dollars and sixty-five cents a head a day to keep them in the feedlot, and we said, "Well, we'll do it for less than half that. You know, we'll save you money, and we'll turn them back out on range where, where they, where oh, they belong. Happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where they're, where they want to be, and uh, so." The, the Bureau of Land Management did support us to some extent, but they also were saving more than half of what they had been paying for these very same horses. What? And, and by the way, the, the people that have come after me, we, we did the first and at, at the time the only one of these. So we were breaking new ground and thinking up this idea and then going to the BLM and persuading him it was a good idea and going to Congress and persuading them. So we were paving the way for successive generations of this same idea. How much uh, how much uh, contact did you have with the horses? And I know the book goes through all of this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get people to to want to read it too in, in more depth. We're just yeah. touching the surface here. How much contact while the horses were on your property did you have with them? Oh, we were with the horses every single day and a lot of times with them many hours in a day. When we were training them uh, we we did a training process. Please, if I can back up just a minute. Yeah, yeah. The 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 horses are very frightened of, of man, and man is their worst enemy. We profess to love them, but we're the ones that terrorize them. We're the ones that chase them with helicopters and force them where they don't want to go. And all of the terror in their life comes from those of us that profess to love them. So. I determined I would do a training process and teach those particular horses that me, Alan, I was their friend, not their enemy. I wouldn't terrorize them. I wouldn't frighten them, but I could be with them and they could treat me as a, as an alpha in their, in their hierarchy, in their, in their, uh, in their family, uh, uh, dynamic. And so, but, the first thing I had to do is, is teach them not to be so frightened of me because their their comfort level with man when they arrived in at my place was about two miles. And what that means is if you got closer than two miles, they'd try to run off and get away from you. And mm-hmm. I have a horse I like wanted, that. 
A lot yeah. of us have horses like that. <laughs> so, well, so the first job is to make friends out of them. Yeah, that's know? right. <laughs> which probably so, which uh, begs the question, if you're out there trying to make friends with uh, with these horses, all with such individual personalities, I bet there are some pretty funny situations that you found yourself in. Can you think of one that you can tell us? Well, there, there were several incidents that were... Yeah, we can look back and laugh. Basically, we would train on them in an enclosure until they acknowledged us. And in horse language, they have their own language. And their acknowledgement would be that they would look at, look at us directly. They would have one ear up, one ear forward. They would do a chewing motion with their mouth, and they would fall with one front foot. And that's their language saying, I accept you. And once they tell you that, then you are accepted forever in their life. You know, they never forget, and they never take that back. So we would train them and be with them and talk to them nicely and move slowly with them and just make it a, a, a strong thing that we didn't do things that would frighten them. And they would then, over time, give us that signal. But not all of them gave us that signal, maybe 75 or 80 percent would do that, but there was a group, again, with these genetic differences that would kind of hang to the back, and they would say, well, we'll go along with the main bunch, but we're not going to give you that final acceptance, and so at, at one point in time, we had 1,200 horses out on the meadow, and they were all trained and all accepted us, but Four of them, which were four of those that hadn't given us that language, jumped out and got in the neighbor's pasture, jumped over the fence and got in the neighbor's pasture. And when we would go out there to gather them, they would just simply run faster than we were able to chase them. So they were in the neighbor's pasture for a while. My son came up, and he's quite adept at motorcycles. So we told him about the horses, and they were right down, not far away, but on the neighbor's. And he said, well, let me take a motorcycle and see if I can't get them back. And so we said, fine, I said, you know, glad to have a good idea. So we took one of our dirt motorcycles and went down there, and boy, they saw him coming, and they the race was on, but the motorcycle would go faster than the horses. So round and round they went, and they were running hard at one point in time. They went up over this little hill, and he went over the hill, all going maybe 40 miles an hour, but what he didn't realize is on the other side of the hill was a lake. So he went flying over the top of the hill at about 40 and couldn't stop and landed right out in the middle of this little lake. And the horses ran on, ran on by it on the side of it and laughed at him as they left. And he had to, took him two hours to push that motorcycle out of the lake and dry it out enough to where it would run again. So, but, but he finally brought him, brought the horses back. But, uh, Anyway, we we all wanted to have a camera and see that shot of him flying off in that lake. <laughs> and there are, you know, people, horses, dogs, whatever. There's always those four in a group, aren't there? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, you know, when we finally got them back. They, I, we all had them in high school. You always had them. There were always those four guys, you know. That <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Well, those particular ones, when we brought them back, they never offered to run off again, but maybe they'd had enough of that. I don't know. But, uh, but in any case... Uh, no, they got the last <laughs> laugh, and they went, okay, we're we're happy now. <laughs> I think so, yeah. 
What do you, to, you know, I, I, lo- I would love for people to go read the book. It's called The Horse Lover, A Cowboy's Quest to Save the Wild Mustangs uh, by H. Allen Day. What, what, you've been following this, I'm sure, ever since, uh, ever since you had the ranch and, and, and the Mustangs there. What, is there a solution to this? Uh, now they have 40,000 of these horses and pens. And, you know, what is the solution to this problem? Well, you know, we can discuss all day whether they have 40. It's my understanding it's closer to 50,000 now. Okay. But the, the real truth, and, and a lot of horse advocates disagree with this, but the real truth is that those horses breed so fast that they increase their numbers by 25% per year. So we're breeding so many that if we leave them out where, they, where they're running in the bat or wherever the areas are, They'll quickly breed so many horses that they eat all the grass, and then they all starve to death. And so some have to be taken off. If that rate of reproduction continues, then some have to be taken off the land, or else huge cruelty will happen. If you've ever seen an animal starve to death, it's not a pretty sight. So, So, yes, we have this big bunch of excess unadoptables, Let's not fight about those. Let's go over to the other side where the baby factory is, and let's get not let's rearrange that to where we don't have a growth of 25 percent a year, but where we have zero population growth. We don't want to breed them out. We don't want to have zero breeding, but we want to have zero population growth, where they don't produce too many horses that become a problem. So let's put our efforts over it where the baby factory is. And, and they have Instead they of, have tried that with sterilization and, uh, you know, done through drugs and that kind of thing. Are you saying that that's the, the route we should go, more of that? Or has it been uh, yes, successful they, getting, so far? They're getting more, more tools and, and, you know, they're getting better able to do it. The problem is having to gather those horses so they can administer right. the, the, the birth control. They're so difficult to gather. So, you know, my answer to that is when you do gather them and you will gather them again, then teach them that we're not their enemy. Go make friends with them before you turn them out and and have them acknowledge you as being their friend. And then when you want to go gather them again, you don't have to go terrorize them. You can go out there and call them and say, come on, follow me. We're going to the grill. So, so like anything, that, just put a little effort the into the... You're saying I'm put sorry. put the effort into the put the effort into um, establishing a relationship with them. I mean, we're not talking about best friends or you know lifelong riding partners. Just getting them to not run away. So you put the effort yeah. in there, and it's going to save you a heck of a lot of effort down the line. So you do it pretty much one time, and you're you're good with whatever else you need to do in order to manage this herd. For That's the most exactly part, exactly correct. And okay. and there's no effort going into that into that area right now, and. I believe that's where you start. Well, and of course, you know, we could get, we could go into why that's not happening and get into whole political conversation, which is beyond the three of us at this point. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think that, you know, when I heard about the sterilization efforts there, um, you know, I thought that that, I agreed with you. I thought that that was a way to help curb it. And, and as long as we can keep it, because there's always, there's always the older ones dying off or them dying off for whatever reason. 
Um, yeah. So, so if you can keep that at zero, then then and of course you have the whole situation. There's there's a lot more adding to this. There's the the cattle farmers who you know are complaining that they're taking. There's there's so many elements to this that it it does get complicated in trying to find a solution that's happy for. I don't know that there's any solution that makes everybody happy. It, that that never happens in anything. No. Um, I, I but it's about prioritizing. Exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it it. Uh, Somebody's going to be unhappy with it, even if it's a really, really good idea. But I, I think based on, on based on needing to, you know, control the, the grazing on the land. I mean, if, if we just do nothing, the land is going to be just destroyed by, you know, by the overgrazing that will occur. And so, you know, uh, it, it has as much to do with the land or more than it even does the horses. You know, if, if if we don't control both and hit a balance, well, then we're not being good managers. Well, Alan, where can people find the book if they, if they want to take a, a good read of it? And I, 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 Mine's on the way, so I can't wait to read it. Well, uh, the easy place is, uh, is uh, Amazon, and uh, they stock it and ship it in a day. And so it, and, but it's on Kindle, and so it's in bookstores. It's at Barnes & Noble, so uh, it's available. And okay. uh, we would, uh, I would very much appreciate if people would uh, that care about horses would uh, would take the time to read it. And it's the horse lover, a cowboy's quest to save the wild mustangs. I wanted to ask you too, the book you wrote in two thousand two with your sister uh, Sandra Day O'Connor is that one still available? It is, uh, and in fact, the sales of the horse lover have spurred a resurgence in sales about the lazy bee, which is that other book. So. Okay. They, uh, they both are available, I think. All right. That was from Random House, a lazy bee growing up on a cattle ranch in the Arizona Southwest. One final question for you. Do you and your sister still ride? You still getting on a horse? Well, we do, but not as often. You know, old age is, uh, is tough, but uh, <laughs> we still do some. And uh, both of us still have horses on, you know, as part of our lives. Well, that's terrific. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Alan. Well, thank you. Coach Jen here, host of the Horse Tip Daily Show on the Horse Radio Network. The way consumers interact with the brands they have trusted for years and those they are about to fall in love with for the first time is becoming more and more mobile, literally, and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Podcasts or internet radio shows like this one combine the new consumer preference for on-demand information and entertainment with the power of niche market audiences. Advertising on the Horse Radio Network podcasts allows you to reach the equestrian consumer using today's preferred on-demand delivery system. It's cost-effective and flexible, able to reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. To learn more about advertising on this show or any of the shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact us at 859-951-2022 or you can email us at glenn at horseradionetwork.com. That's glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com. Come and join the Horse Radio Network family. You'll enjoy the ride.
What a complicated situation the whole Mustang thing is. And, you know, it was good to hear his perspective on it, having dealt with a large quantity of them. Uh, more than any of us will probably see in our lifetimes. You know, he had to live with uh, and feed and, and care for. Wow. Yeah. 1,500 is a lot. Yeah, the most horses we've ever had at one time uh, when we had the boarding stable was about 25. And I can't imagine. No, that can feel like 1,500 <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> but it clean installs, it does. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's funny because his perspective is so simple. You know, when you, you think that you would actually, when you immerse yourself so deeply with so many animals and so many, um, well, there's environmental issues, there's political issues, there's social issues. Uh, when you immerse yourself so deeply the way he has into this life, uh, you would think that his perspective would be quite complicated, but it's really very simple. And it just, it boiled down to uh, get to understand them and then you can help them better. That's it. <laughs> it boiled down to getting some of them fixed. That's what it boiled well, down to. <laughs> it's always about that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to solve that problem today here either, but I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it again. It's actually been a little while since we talked about the Mustangs. So we're going to head off to next to our Tack and Habits. This Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom. Find your sparkle, get some boom. New media marketing for small businesses. You can find them online at sparkleandboom.com. Well, I have a product today I'd like to review that have been on my feet for about a month now, and I want to tell you about them. I got these boots. I needed new boots just to wear around the farm, and we have a lot of sand here. We don't have mud, but sand gets in everything. It's like living at the beach because we have sand. That's what we don't have dirt. We have sand. Uh, you know, in Ocala, Florida, that's what you have, and it gets everywhere, and it gets all over the house, and, you know, it's just like when you go to the beach, you get sand everywhere. Well, what it, sand also does is eats shoes. Sand, the abrasiveness of sand just eats shoes. So yeah. I've, been, I've been buying these cheap pull-on uh, shoes that are semi-waterproof at Walmart, you know, for like 25 bucks. Well, I go through them about every three months and they fall apart. So I finally decided I'm going to spend a little extra money and I'm going to get a good boot. Because one of the other things you need is waterproof when you got out in the morning here. It's always damp because we have 100% humidity all the time. So, you know, we got humidity and sand. So and I like the slip-on boots because you we you know we take our shoes off when we come in the house because of the sand. Yeah, who has and, time for laces? Yeah, right? yeah, and every time you go in and out, we go in and out fifty times a day. So I like the pull-ons. Well, I found a pair when we were at Ada at the Outback booth, you know, Outback uh, Outback uh, Clothing, and I went to uh, I went to Outback Trading. I said, "What do you have in boots?" And they had these slip-on leather boots, and they're eighty-nine dollars. So I thought, well, they're the right price. And they're waterproof, leather, and they have, uh, you know, good construction. And one of the other things that happens with my cheapy boots is the little toe cap is never sewn on and it always pops off. You know, I have some cheap sneakers. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That little yes, toe I cap do. thing always pops off. Well, the glue are, comes on. Yes, exactly. And you try yeah. and glue it back, never works. So these are sewn on, on the... The little toe cap is sewn on. So that was okay. one thing I looked for, always look for, is that sewn on. And they're leather, and they also have the elastic on the side, so it makes it easy to pull on. So, and they're short. They're not tall like uh, uh, paddock boots. They're shorter, regular shoe boots, like loafers almost. 
So they were perfect for what I was looking for. So I, I ordered some in, got them in about four weeks ago. I had to send them back twice because one thing I will tell you is these things run. My, I normally take a size 12. I took an 11 in these, and they were almost still too big. Wow. So they run, they run big. Big. Okay? Yep, they run big. And uh, so I finally got them that they fit. And if, they, if I have one complaint about these is that they fit really good in the toe box and I, I can't get them any, I couldn't go any smaller in the toe box, but the back is still a little loose. The back, it doesn't come in quite enough, I think. Mm, okay. And I've had shoes like this before, especially full-ons. There's some that have that figured out. I think they need to adjust it a little bit on these. It bothered me for the first day. But now I can tell you that I wear these. I wear them all the time. And, and you know how a shoe, you know a shoe's broken in is when you don't think about it anymore. Right. You know, when you get new shoes, you're thinking about them. And you're thinking, how do they fit? They're rubbing here. This is happening. That's happening. And then after a while, if they're good shoes and they break in properly, you don't think about them anymore. Well, that's the case now. I don't think about these anymore. So I guess that fit issue has gone away pretty much. I was thinking about today going, well, I don't even worry about it anymore. So... These are really, really nice shoes. Now, I've only had them for a month, so I can't uh, speak to their longevity, but they are waterproof. My feet don't get wet at all. I used to have to replace my socks twice a day uh, when I had my other Walmart cheapies on. These are not that way at all, and they are super comfy. They do have a heel. You could probably ride in these. Uh, I use them for driving all the time, but you could probably ride in these because they do have a heel, and they're a pretty stiff sole. Um, uh, They have a removable cushion insole, which I really like because I like to replace my insoles every once in a while. So you don't have to like tear it out and it's glued in. You can just remove these. They're oil resistant and they are quality. You can tell quality stuff and Outback makes quality stuff. You know, Outback Trading just makes really good quality stuff. Everything I've ever had from them is quality and uh, no exception with the boots. And they just started doing boots a little while ago. Um, the treads are nice. They're not too much tread, but enough tread that if you were on ice or snow, you wouldn't slip. Um, but not too much tread that you're also going to get stuck, uh, you know, in places. I really like them. I would highly recommend them. They look good. They look attractive. You could, I wear them out all the time. Uh, you know, and, and they don't, they're not, they kind of resistant to scuffing. Because they're not that scuffed up. I have one right here. They're not that scuffed up like, like a lot of paddock boots get. So okay, okay. I really like them. I, I, you know, other than the fit issue I had at the beginning, I can't really find anything wrong with them. They're comfy. They, 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 uh, the, the sole is comfy, you know. Uh, the foot pad is comfy. I just like them. I do like them. I would get another pair of these. So I would put and, them on my buy list. And I would say that for... For such an easygoing guy, you are particular about uh, things. Especially shoes. I, I kind yeah. of particular about shoes, and I like what I like. I like certain sneakers. I like, you know, certain shoes. And if they don't fit right, it drives me nuts. Uh, but this one, I thought at first there was going to be that problem, but I, it kind of went away. Uh, and I don't even think about it anymore. But yeah, so I would say if you're going to order these, they're called the Outback Dublin Boots. Now, this is a, and the one nice thing is this is a men's boots, but they, men's boot, but they also have uh, ladies versions. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, we hardly ever get to review anything men. So I'm reviewing that today. This is for those guys out there. It's the Outback Dublin Pull-On. And it's terrific if you're looking for what I was looking for. A quick pull-on that you can go out and do farm work with. When I got them in, I said, oh, these are so nice. I'm not going to use them around a farm. You know how when 
when you first get your boots and you go, your paddock boots, and they're all shiny, and you go, oh, I just spent $100 on these, and I don't really want to wear them around the barn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we all do, you know, yeah, so we all yeah. take them out and we start wearing them. And I'm glad I did because they're comfy and they're waterproof and I just like them. I mean, I, I, they, do, they do the job. Uh, what can I say? That's what you want, right? And, yeah, and and yeah. And they're extra comfy. So uh, you can find them. Just uh, search for Outback Dublin Pull-On. I found them a number of places, uh, mostly around the $90 mark, $89. And they also have them on uh, their website at outbacktrading.com. So... That's my review for the Outback Dublin pull-on. I would say, for me, it's a buy. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We're about done here, so uh, we'll call it a day. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Helena, I'm, I'm so glad you're okay. And, and, uh, I, <laughs> well, my neck's okay. I don't I'm know really about the rest of it. I'm sorry that there wasn't a video of this, because that could have been a... We could have won money with that. <laughs> It's a scary, really? bizarre accident. You only you could look to see my near-death experience as a profit center. It's my right. job, Alina. Yeah, I know. Job. I know. We're here to make fun of ourselves. Yes, we are. As long as we're alive, that's what we will do. You can get our app. You can find it at the app store. Although I'm going to come back to haunt your ass. <laughs> I bet you will too. <laughs> you can find it at the App Store, iOS, or Android just by searching for Horse Radio Network Stable Scoops on there. You can go to our show. It's probably the easiest way to do that. You can also find all of our show notes at StableScoop.com. And all the past episodes, all six years worth there as well. Helena, where can they find you? Oh, I'm all over the place, but you can find me at two of my favorite places. The hospital. Uh, and? <laughs> in my barn. <laughs> Actually, you can find me on Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. Uh, you can t- send me messages at Stable Scoop on Facebook, Chasing a Fox, or Sparkling Boom. That's great. That's it for this week, Helena. That will be plenty. There'll be more next week. Until then, happy scooping. Happy scooping.